0: podcast is part of the pod syndicate Valley. for more criminally compelling shows articles and conversations head to wearepod
1: your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack if you don't we will lose 1600 men your brother among them
2: landfill film television pop culture it's where you find it
3: and now on with the show
2: hey everyone this is it our first episode ever of the mulberry matinee that's right I am the Jaystrom. Thank you for visiting said theater here in the town of Mulberry or wherever you are. And uh, we're here to discuss one film and one film only for each episode of the show. And the very first episode, we're going to discuss the film 1917, and I'm going to do it with my special guest, Adam Sexton. Hello, Adam.
4: Hello. My name is Adam Sexton, and this is the sound of my voice.
2: Yes, it is. Now, Adam, you do a podcast yourself called The Past and the Pending. How is that going, sir?
4: It's still going. Uh, I've been busy with either holiday stuff or just uh, basically getting distracted by other things. But I'm still planning to put out another solo episode uh, also themed around movies. So that wouldn't that... When that becomes available, I will let everyone in the fan club uh, uh, know, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there.
2: Yeah, holidays have the way of getting in the way of podcasting. Yes. And uh, I'm just trying to get back on track. I want to thank you for most recently recording that show with me, ETL Presents happy new year 2020
4: (laughs) yeah it was great it was an honor and it was fun to listen to so uh, i am uh i was uh, not only honored to be on that episode but i'm also honored to be on this episode
2: well thank you for being here and i gotta say that kind of inspired me that episode where i'm like i like this just talking about one thing you know we talked about multiple things on there but i want to have a film discussion podcast where we talk about one film because for years you know i've i know you've listened to a ton of them i have too where it's just two guys talking about a film that's just come out and i'm like and i never wanted to do that i wanted to do something else like a kind of a drive time radio type of show but i want to try this now and have some fun with it and just I feel like I haven't talked film in a long time and it's something that I was been passionate about for most of my life and it kind of turned into the podcast turned into something else and I want this podcast to be about movies or TV shows or you like we may do an episode on the season of Mandalorian like me and someone else discuss the entire season in one episode. And then maybe another episode, we discuss a documentary we just saw, perhaps on HBO. One I'm thinking of is the McDonald's one that's going to come out soon. (laughs) Uh, I want to do that. So you and I both saw the film, Sam Mendes' 1917. And I just want to say right away, this format will be Adam and I discussing the film and what we thought of it, but we won't get into spoilers until the second half of the show. We're going to take a break later. Then when we come back, we're going to discuss spoilers. So if you haven't seen the film yet and you, I certainly don't want to spoil anything ever to anyone because that's how I feel about spoilers. I want to experience everything the first time. So if you haven't seen the film yet, stop it at that moment and don't listen anymore. Or in fact, just save this till after you see the film, because I will say this right off the bat, Adam. People should see this film. It's good.
4: I agree. It's uh, if if you love if you love movies, if you love cinema, and uh, I don't know, maybe if you even love war films, uh, you're going to find something something here to your liking.
2: And what's funny is I want to discuss the quotation marks uh, gimmick of the film, but I don't want that to take anything away from the film. If someone is going into the film not knowing about that, I don't want that to distract them from the film because it was certainly on my mind as the film started, but it didn't distract me. It uh, wowed me. (laughs) Should I say that? I was amazed by it. And I was thinking about like, you know, everyone says, you know, film is illusion, right? Its uh, film is magic. And I thought the illusion of this film being one single take was magical. Now, I know for a f- fact, and some people will point that out to you on Twitter, that actually it's not one take because they had to do cuts. Like, we know that, okay? Everyone knows that. The fact that's the miracle is that it's an illusion that it seems to be a single take. Am I right?
4: That is correct.
2: And, you know, of course there's going to be moments where something passes in front of the screen or they walk into a darkened room and it goes black and they most likely yelled cut. That's fine. But I think it's a really cool idea that it's a single take film.
4: And I was a little surprised that, uh, Sam Mendes would do something like this. He, he's not really known in his career for doing a lot of one, one long takes, uh, and he did the last Bond film, Spectre, which opened with, I want to say, is like a 15-minute long take or 10 or 15-minute long take. But for when, whenever I hear about movies that are directed with mostly uh, these one long takes, I'm usually thinking, okay, maybe it's something that Joe Wright directed mm-hmm. or the guy who did The Revenant. It's, it's, uh, it, it's a huge logistical nightmare, and I'm uh, – I'm really in awe of people who can pull it off and not lose you uh, in the immersion of telling the story.
2: Right. And the story that they're telling is pretty amazing. It's a world war one story where basically two men are sent on a mission to uh, across enemy lines to deliver a message, to stand down and not attack at this certain time because the Germans are wait, laying in wait. They're, it's a trap for them. Everyone thinks they've retreated and so they're going to attack them now as they're on the run, but that's not true. They're actually laying in wait to attack and uh, just kill everybody, decimate everyone. So they tell these two characters, Lance Corporal Blake and Lance Corporal Schofield, they tell them, you've got to go here and call off this battle because if you don't, 1,600 men will die. And in fact, Corporal Blake one of them is your brother and so we've we've heard that you're good at reading maps so you should be able to find this and they're like "Well, sir this is across no man's land there's you know the germans he goes they all retreated there's nobody there it's safe just go you'll be fine and (laughs) of course it sounds scary because they've been entrenched in these uh trenches uh barely staying alive because you know as soon as you climb out of that trench you're shot down right And so now they're being told they can just climb out of there and walk across the land and everything's fine. And the thing that's amazing about the single take thing is we see these two characters wake up, they're told to come here, and the camera's following them. And what I love what the film does is it shows them walking towards us and what they're passing by. And then as they look at something, the camera goes behind them and we see what they're looking at. And I wondered if there would be moments in the film, like where we'd be saying, "What are they looking at? What are they looking at?" But th- it never felt like that. It felt like we get to see what they're looking at right on cue, as we'd want to. Do you know what I mean? Uh, there wasn't yeah, any frustration on my part.
4: Yeah, I, I know. And and like I like I said before, you don't want these long takes to take you out of the moment. Like 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 you mentioned before. If you're trying to pay attention, you can kind of tell where okay they could have hidden the cut there, but throughout most and, and throughout some shots of the movie, yes, I was I was playing that little game, but then the movie brings me back to the importance of its story, and I just didn't want to uh, be confused by a uh, by a by this little detail and not get lost in the narrative, and uh, I, I think. Th- the way that it's bringing you into the setting where 1917 is basically the penultimate year of the war. It ends in November of uh, 1918 and a repeating theme in the, in the movie is how the war is basically this idea of either disillusionment or just soldiers being weary of this war that's been going on for a while. They don't know it's about to end in about a year or so but they're still tired of doing it and you've got a lot of soldiers who are going through the motions fatigue is setting in and i think that first opening shot of you following the two soldiers through the camp through the trenches and just showing the quality of life so to speak yes. through the other soldiers in their uh, command unit is really bringing to home the just the harshness of living through a war through that particular war
2: the detail as they're passing by people is amazing the stuff going on in the background and that's the thing i was amazed by when the camera rotates around them is because we see no film crew we see the set from this angle and this angle and i was thinking like as they're walking through all these trenches like how big is the set that they built for this movie you know it's amazing yeah I mean, I'm just going to say that the film, it's quite something to behold when you think about all the technical aspects. Also, you can't say much about this movie without mentioning Roger Deakins, because Mm -hmm. the film is absolutely gorgeous. And for instance, when these men are walking through the trench in daylight to go to the tent to hear their orders, it goes from outside into darkness and then like lanterns lit over a map and it's just beautifully shot isn't it
4: it is and uh we talked about the editing that also uh some kudos must be thrown to lee smith who uh who's done a whole lot of work with uh christopher nolan and in particular he did dunkirk a couple of years back oh, wow, so man. uh i mean his, his uh his work as an editor uh his mastery of it is on full display here.
2: You know, it's funny you say that. Cause I saw some people on Twitter, uh, joking that like the movie is like one take, there is no editing. Why is it nominated? And it's just like, Oh, you're, <sighs> you're a moron. Yeah.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah if if your idea of editing is drawn from watching music videos then that's i'm sorry that that, that's a that's one way to edit but that's not the only way to
2: yeah a scene doesn't have to have 15 takes of liam neeson jumping over a fence like (laughs) taking me exactly (laughs) do you remember that i do i do (laughs) he's jumping over a fence and it's like 15 different camera angles
4: Or certain scenes in Bohemian Rhapsody where they just can't get the blocking right for some weird reason. (laughs) And it's just five people talking.
2: People talking at a table. It's like, why are all these cuts in this scene? Yeah. Why are they showing this guy? Who is that? Yeah, but oh my God. So I'm going to say very much, just right off the bat, that I very much enjoyed the film. What I think is interesting is it's one take and you're along with these two men is that you are a participant. You are there for the the story, the the ride, if you will. It, it kind of feels like a ride at times, doesn't it? It's kind of this, you're, you're there and you can't look away. And there were times in this film where I jumped and Steven thought it was hilarious because I actually got popcorn all over myself. I went, <laughs> and I flicked popcorn. And that hasn't happened to me since the gray with Liam Neeson. So
4: <laughs> I'm really curious at what moment made you jump like that?
2: Uh, the rat over the tripwire.
4: Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of jumped at that too, to be honest.
2: And I was like, Pwah! and I looked down and I have popcorn <laughs> all over me. I was like, Oh, come on, Jason. And I was like, maybe Steven <laughs> didn't notice. And I, he's looking right at me. He's like, Huh-huh. it's like, thanks a lot. <laughs> well, the thing I feared when you say like if i were to say hey dad you need to go see this film i'd rather say it's a an awesome war film by sam mendez and i think you're going to really enjoy it i don't even want to mention the single take thing because i have a feeling that some people they won't stop noticing it and i did at times and sometimes in the film i was like how did they shoot this you know i i was uh, kind of in awe of the tech technical mastery that i was witnessing in the film do you know what I mean? like some people won't be able to get that out of their head that it's a single take they're watching?
4: Uh, it depends. I mean people who've like us who have seen enough movies uh probably like i said like I said before, there were moments in the film where I was just studying that like that 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 initial take going through no man's land and I was kind of looking uh for the moments where I thought okay, they could have hidden the cut there, but after that, yeah, that passed. And then I just became focused on the the two soldiers, and then my eyes were kind of wandering the screen. That's that's one of the brilliant things that the cinematography does is that there is no wasted space in the frame. Your eyes are constantly right. looking for here to there on the periphery for details, and not just the central action. And that's that's one of the brilliant things about uh, the way that it looks. And I don't I, I don't think it's going to lose anyone, but for film nuts like us, we'll, we will be taken aback by the technique. And then eventually, throughout the course of the viewing, we will uh, fall back down to the telling of the story.
2: What I loved is the choreography also, because you know it had to take a lot of choreography. There are times it's involving two characters – Blake and Schofield but there will be times where it will only focus on Blake for a second and you see Schofield off in the distance where he's walking way ahead of him mm-hmm. and then uh, he will be stopped and and then you'll hear Schofield talk off screen and then the camera goes around Blake and then now Schofield's back in the shot and he catches up to him and now they're both in the shot and there will be times where Schofield is the only one the camera's focusing on and then Blake will be in the distance you can hear him like behind you and I just think it's masterful the way they did that, that choreography, that kind of ballet between both characters. And uh, there are times in the film where the camera is following them, for instance, in that No Man's Land shot, where there's this crater with filled with water, and it's got dead bodies everywhere, and they're going around the edge of the crater to get to the other side, but the camera doesn't follow behind them. It goes over the water. Yeah. And that like stuff like that where the camera goes in places that it shouldn't be able to go, that makes the scene that much more, you know, awesome. Like you're kind of awestruck by it.
4: Yeah, they they must have had some complicated camera rigs or cranes in order to pull off shots like that. And it makes me already I'm already thinking of that famous uh shot in like the Evil Dead movies where the camera has like fitted onto a plank or a board yeah. and it's go- it's also going through places you don't think a person could go and uh, yeah, the, the, I was wondering about that too, I mean are there moments where it's a crane or are they able to handle it off to someone to do some handheld shots or put it on a steadicam mount it, it would be interesting to see some behind the scenes scenes uh, material on how they did some of this stuff
2: and i gotta say it's not just the film is not just this kind of it's all about the camera work and stuff the the two actors in the film are fantastic and also there's a lot of guest actors like known actors that you will recognize that are fantastic too when they show up everybody's fantastic fantastic performances and the film is very emotional i welled up twice in this film and i got really Emotional. And when I got home, uh, sometimes my wife will want me to tell her everything about the film, even spoilers, because she never intends to see a war movie. You know, there's just certain movies she doesn't want to watch. Right. And I got choked up telling her the story, uh, you know, and I realized that because we've gone through hell with this guy, is the way you feel like. You've seen everything that he's done and uh when you get to that you know where it goes it's it feels like a rewarding experience
4: it does it it takes you on this this odyssey or this adventure and adventures usually put the hero or heroes through a, through a ringer and they come out different or changed at the end and the the movie does not fail on that aspect uh you also have to appreciate while watching the movie that There's not only the logistical problem of two men trying to travel all that way. I forget how long they have to travel, but they have to do it through uh, enemy territory or through area territory where they don't know if there's German soldiers or not. Right. There's not only that. But at one particular point, one of the soldiers is warned by uh, by uh, by a general or a captain who's played by one of the uh, famous uh, British actor cameos, where he's told, "When you reach the officer you're trying to reach to, the, to deliver the orders to withdraw, make sure that there are witnesses." And the one of the soldiers asks why, and he says, "Because some men just want to fight." So now there's added pressure where when they meet – when they meet the the colonel that they're supposed to give the warning to, it has to be enough to make him stop right. uh, sending soldiers out. Because to him, uh, uh, based on the information he's got, they're on the retreat, and that's because the British is basically winning in the engagement. They don't they don't realize what they're going into. So there's that added pressure. Uh, that added tension to the story.
2: The thing that the film captures is you're in over your head all the time, <laughs> you know? Right. And also, when shots ring out, you have no idea where they're coming from. So that's even scarier. Uh, speaking of which,
4: what what kind of theater did you see this in? Did you see this in the IMAX
2: format? I saw it in Cinemark XD, so it was in the big screen.
4: Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't have the opportunity to see it in IMAX. Uh I saw it at the AMC where I live and it's basically one of their standard uh uh two D presentations. Uh and the the audio quality was good, but I'm really betting that in IMAX it was uh way more effective. Uh when I saw Dunkirk, one of the most striking things about that viewing was the sound design. Gunshots right are very loud and very percussive and they startled me every time I heard them and the same thing applied to this movie where I was just dreading any kind of violent confrontation me
2: too and, because everything yeah. is so quiet that when a shot rings out that's why I'm throwing popcorn on myself right <laughs> <laughs> so i'm itching to talk about the spoilerish uh, moments of this film I saw that this film has already been nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Sam Mendes is nominated for Best Director. Uh, Roger Deakins should be nominated. I haven't seen the technical Oscars, but when I was done watching this film, I was like, "Give this movie all the awards," <laughs> you know?
4: Yeah, like definitely, definitely the technical stuff. But I, I, I feel like the actors, uh, at least the actor playing, you know, Schofield. Uh, should definitely be be nominated
2: yeah dean charles chapman played blake and george mckay played schofield i thought both these guys were fantastic you've seen them in other places you know they have those faces but george mckay he has such an interesting face and those eyes like you could tell he's seen some shit and in fact his character has won a medal and they kind of talk about it. He's like, "What happened to your medal?" And he's like, "I traded it. Traded it for what? Traded it for a bottle of wine." He's like, "Why?" He's like, "Cause I was thirsty."
4: <laughs> yeah, that's that's that theme of disillusionment or fatigue uh, regarding the war, where medals are metals are important to one person and they're completely nothing to another. It's just a you know, he says, it's just a piece of mail or something he says no it's not it's got a ribbon on it
2: yeah exactly
4: but yeah but yeah i i completely forgot the actor who is playing blake dean charles Chapman. he was Tommen on game of thrones yes so right. uh, i made that little connection
2: and that's crazy because he looks so young in game of thrones but you know that movie fil- i mean that show filmed years ago right uh, so he was much younger then and
4: yeah but yeah, definitely, uh, you know, nods for cinematography and for editing, definitely for production design because it was, uh, oh, you know, it was substantial. They, dug, I'm reading here on IMDb, they dug over five thousand two hundred feet of trenches, uh, which wow. is basically just under one mile. Uh, I mean, it's it's an extreme. I don't know how much of it is CGI. Uh, probably more than I think, but uh, it was, I, I didn't see the seams anywhere.
2: If there was any CGI in the film, it was the rats. That's probably the most obvious.
4: <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, that moment where uh, they land in that crater. And this is already after a moment where uh, I believe it's Schofield holds a, a pole with some barbed wire to allow uh, Blake to get through. And he actually cuts his hand on it yeah. when they land in that crater and uh, Blake lands in the pit right next to Schofield and gets spooked by a dead body that Schofield tried to regain his balance. His hand goes into the that little stomach of that dead German or the rats have been yeah. and as someone who has spent a lot of his life working as a janitor so therefore I try to keep personal hygiene up that scene just made me gross out. I'm like, oh, man, that thing's going to get infected. He's going to have to have it cut off or something. I don't know. Yeah,
2: I was like, pour some alcohol, some uh, peroxide. Come on, yeah, something.
4: Pour, pour some tussin on it. I don't...
2: <laughs> he takes forever to wrap that up. And by then, I'm like, dude, you're already losing your hand. <laughs> yeah but i would definitely uh, the, if i was to rate this film i would give it an a just you know experience alone The what, i had an incredible experience watching this film i felt something i was wowed and amazed by the technical wizardry and the illusion of the single take uh i think it's a film that must be seen
4: yeah i would give it an a as well um Uh, the basic premise of the story isn't going to blow may not blow people away especially those who have seen their share of war films but the the care that's done with it the not, not not just from a production design but from the commitment to the actors and the writing is is strong enough to make up for if you like me felt like the promise was either lacking or maybe something you may have seen before, but it's not by any means a poorly made film in any respect,
2: right? And this film's not about them getting into combat situations like saving Private Ryan, that's not what the story's about. It's about right. them surviving to deliver this message kind of a thing, and you get to see the war as they basically they're running through a war going on, you know right and uh, once you know that like I don't know maybe some people are like "Oh, I want more gunplay or whatever that's not what the film's about and um, I've got to just say right Thomas Newman does a fantastic score to this film and he probably one of his most memorable scores that that I can think of is the Shawshank Redemption and that there's moments in this film where the music swells and I thought it was amazing
4: yeah, it's it's a uh, it feels like a continuation of uh, what he, the work he did on Spectre, where he had to make he, he's he's known for mostly doing the sweeping dramas, mm-hmm. and not so much for doing movies that have action sequences in it. And there are moments where there are percussive moments during the during the score that you forget that Newman, uh, was capable of or pulled off in a movie like specter. And, uh, I truly believe that every music cue worked in the favor of this movie.
2: Yeah, very much. And he, I guess he does most of Sam Mendes's scores, doesn't he? Most of his films
4: for the mo Yeah. For the most part. I, I, I mean, cause Mendes uh, <laughs> first film American beauty that was also scored yeah. by Newman. So, uh, so yeah, uh, is that little cough they've...
2: you did on purpose?
4: <laughs> what?
2: It's kind of saying you were like um, American <laughs> yeah.
4: Beauty. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, look, look, everyone. The last episode we did, we made fun of Sam Mendes' name. Yeah, and uh, I and I'm trying to work my way around it for as long as possible, <laughs> but because we're trying to keep a good. Yes. Uh, you know, sober mature discussion on this, this i'm trying a... to hold out as long as i can but i truly want to say it because ever since that we record that episode i've been saying it to myself and kind of giggling like an idiot so <laughs> this but is a you can very Jason for that
2: this is a cultured film podcast so that's right <laughs> yeah for some reason i've always pronounced his name sam mendes and i don't know why maybe i heard somebody else do it uh, kind of like Jim Jarmusch, and I'm like, it's Jim Jarmish. Why are they saying Jarmusch like that? You know, and yeah. apparently it's Sam Mendes. I guess yeah. Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes. Uh, Road to Position. That's a great film that he did too. I remember.
4: Yeah, that more than American Beauty sold me on his abilities as a director, and doesn't get mentioned as much these days.
2: Yeah, uh, Revolutionary Road. Was that what it is? The he made a film. Yes. That movie made me want to kill myself.
4: <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't last very long through it. I, I get what it's trying to do, but but yeah, I don't
2: uh, know why anyone wanted to make that film. Uh, I remember afterwards, that was one of those movies where Heather was like, "Why did we watch this?" And I'm like, "I don't know."
4: All those people who were wanting a Titanic reunion between the film's two stars were no doubt disappointed. It's like yeah. yeah, it's it was good that Jack died. See what oh, would have yeah. happened. yeah, he also
2: did another war film, Jarhead.
4: Yeah, I don't remember that one as well. I'm I'm a little ashamed of that.
2: I I feel like I've seen Jarhead, but uh, I think it was one of those times it was on in the background and, and I didn't give it the attention it deserved. But I know Jake Gyllenhaal's in it.
4: Yeah, supposedly so, it's a really it's a really good film, despite the fact that it's inspired several direct to video sequels which are all basically more action films and the movie is about the absence of actions in wartime so
2: yeah isn't that weird
4: you never know man
2: (laughs) all right adam we both give 1917 an a we're going to take a short break and when we come back we're going to spoil the shit out of this movie (laughs) we're going to recap it and spoil it and talk about we're basically going to gush over this film All right, guys, be right back. Go get yourself some popcorn, some soda. Uh, I don't know what your snack of choice is, Adam, but mine is Twizzlers.
4: It's either Twizzlers or I get those uh, sweet, uh, those, uh, what do you call them? Sweethearts or Sweethearts Ropes.
2: Or, s- sweet tarts, or sweet tarts? Th- sweet
4: tarts. Sweet tart ropes. Oh, they sell like... them at AMC, and I I love those as well.
2: So those are like the licorice, but they've had like the powdered sugar inside of them? Or...
4: No, th- those are s- – sweet tarts are like chewy sweet tarts, but they've turned them into like uh, long strands of almost like licorice, but not quite. Oh, wow. They're very soft and chewy.
2: Those sound amazing. I need to seek those out. They might <laughs> make my teeth hurt, though.
4: <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. We'll Don't be eat right red back. vines. They're shit.
2: Oh, okay. All right, guys. <laughs> we'll be right back.
1: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome to Film Bastards, a podcast where three friends, two of them married, and two of them podcasting life partners, chat everything from new releases, trailers, news, and an eclectic mix of other film goodies, oh, and many, many, many tangents. You can find them by searching your podcast provider, or check them out on Twitter and Instagram by searching Film Bastards. You never know, you might like it, and if you don't, well, we don't really give a f***.
4: Let's play refreshment quiz. What's crunchy, crispy, tasty, butter drenched? You're right. (coughs) Our hot buttered popcorn. What's bubbly, refreshing, ice cold, delicious, and thirst quenching? Right again. (coughs) Our ice cold soft drinks. What's nourishing, flavorful, and so good to eat? Right again. (coughs) Our mouth watering candy bars. Hot buttered popcorn. Ice cold soft drinks. Mouth watering candy bars. Why not get some in
1: the lobby right now? Have you ever wondered what so-called family films will scar your kids forever? F- putting four or five-year-olds in front of this movie, it's like, if they didn't know what death was before this, they're going to know it after it. They're going to know it after it, and they're going to be freaking terrified. And they're going to be questioning you. Yeah. yeah. Or do you have the slight suspicion that your loved one has a cold, dead heart? Yeah, The Dark Knight is like all the orphans, and like, oh, no, we're going to die. They did not build up those orphans at all. In my head, it's like, kill them then look no further, the His Film Her Movie Podcast is the show for you. It's the movie podcast that celebrates the contrasting cinematic tastes of its hosts. So join Jordan and Lauren every week on their unique journey through the land of the silver screen. So if you're looking for a few laughs, some fun film-related chat, then get involved. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack.
5: Spoilers, Detective. Proceed
2: with caution. Listen at your own risk. Alright, we are back from our break and Adam, I'm ready to talk about 1917 with you. And I just want to say, first off, when the movie opens, I remember thinking in my head, okay, show me this single take stuff. I'm ready for this. I'm ready You know, and you see the camera open up on, I believe, is it Schofield sleeping?
4: It's, I think, Blake. I I have to see it again, but I want to say that it's on the field. It pulls back. You see Blake first. Then you see Schofield. I could be wrong about that.
2: Yeah, and it comes up. You see these feet walk into view, and it's a superior officer who kicks them to wake them up. And it says, Mm -hmm. is it the captain wants to see him? I don't... I don't think we ever
4: see... Well, yeah, we do see his face, but I don't remember him right off the bat.
2: Whoever their officer is, they say they want to see him, and when they get there, he goes, the general is in there, General Aaron Moore. And this general is played by Colin Firth. Mm -hmm. And as I was talking about before, the single take thing, how the camera follows behind them in, and then you see... uh, Colin Firth is turned around and then he you know we see his back and the way it's lit and everything and he turns around and he gives them their mission that they must travel across no man's land to deliver these and I love how the camera you know the way he unveils the map and it's kind of peeking between the two characters so we can see the map also yeah just the way all that is choreographed um, there's something I don't know it's always been how I appreciate movies you know, I've talked about it many times where I think of the. I love to appreciate how somebody put a lot of work into something. That's why I'm such a fan of uh, camera work like Sam Raimi or whatever, where I picture him, you know, laying in bed awake, like, oh yeah, this would be a beautiful shot or whatever. Everything in this film feels like that. Like they just spent hours just you know, choreographing the way that where the characters would stand, the actors and where the lighting would come from and where the camera would sweep around so we could see what they're talking about. And Yeah.
4: It never feels like it's being show offy. It always feels like it's making consideration for the visual information uh, that's required to to understand scene to scene. That's right. That's you're right, that's that's a considerable skill set.
2: And the only time we're ever disoriented is because the main characters are disoriented. Right. And I think that, you know, there's no shaky cam or anything like that when they're running. You know, they want us to see what's happening. They want us to go, what the F is going on, you know? (laughs) Right. And I love that, uh, you know, they tell Blake that his brother is there and he, you know, he could possibly save his life. And I have a feeling the general told him that because he needs somebody motivated because some guys might slack off and just go wherever. Because there doesn't seem to be a lot of authority once you're out there.
4: Like Schofield probably was flirting with the idea at certain points during the first half of the movie about whether or not they should uh go back i mean i mean that would be that would be refusing a direct order and that would be there would be serious consequences for it but yeah that's that's something to take into consideration
2: absolutely as they're going uh blake is off in a shot like he's walking really fast and he's going off camera in the distance as schofield's like wait hold on come on you know like because he knows his brother could be killed. So that's what he cares about. And I love how they're going through the throng of all the soldiers. You know, some soldiers are getting pissed. Like you're not supposed to be going this direction. We're all coming this way. And what I love is uh, Blake is way ahead. And apparently he's bumped into a guy that's pissed off and he's getting in his face. And we're behind Schofield and we catch up to Blake because he's getting in a tussle with this guy. And Schofield calls him off. He's like, hey, we got general's orders. We got general's orders. We don't have time for this. And it's amazing how they go from one spot. We're following them where there's all of this stuff going on with noises to when it's whisper quiet. You know?
4: Yeah. It's when they get to the front lines, everything calms down. That that, that was another touch about Blake getting into a scuffle and when they tell, when they reveal to the other so, to the other soldiers that they've got you know orders to go to the front lines, that's when they they decide to just you know cooler let cooler heads prevail because they know oh crap these guys may be marching to their own death. So uh, I love that little I love that little touch. But yeah, as soon as we get to the front lines, uh, it, it gets quiet and you've still got soldiers huddled in, but it just it just feels like. The closer we get, the closer we get to no man's land. The more quiet you need to be, and the more careful you need to be. So, yeah, I, I love the 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 uh, emphasis on that detail.
2: Yeah, I love their first bit of their orders is to find this one guy who will show them how to get across no man's land. And when they get there, that guy has is dead because there's like a scorch mark where like a bomb hit. And so they go to the guy who's now in command and that's played by Andrew Scott who yeah. is hot priest uh from uh Fleabag. Yeah. <laughs> and or you all people might know him as Moriarty from uh Sherlock.
4: He was also a bad guy inspector.
2: Oh nice. So he's kind of he's there he's got his flask and he he's one of those people who's a little world-weary right now. And he's like, that's right. insanity. You guys will be shot down as soon as you stick your heads up. And they're like, no, no, no. We were told it's safe. And he's like, oh, okay. Hmm. And I love, do you like how he like splashes on them and he gives them their last rites, basically?
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: One thing I love is how the guys, we see that they've been trained, that they have the same actions. They know when to do things. Like, they put their bayonets on and they they remember their training as they're going across And as they're going across this battlefield, we see dead horses and we see dead bodies mangled in, uh, barbed wire. Yeah. And I remember when they tell him to look through the periscope, he says, you see a guy kneeling or whatever, the kneeling lad or something. And when you get there, you realize it's actually a dead body that he's talking about tangled up in the barbed wire. And that's when, uh. Schofield cuts his hand. They're traveling through uh, this devastated land where they could easily get hurt and cut and infected or whatever, because there's nothing but death and rats and barbed wire everywhere. Right. And it's pretty messed up. And like we were saying before, the, the camera, the way it follows them through all this wreckage and stuff is pretty amazing. And I loved when they arrive at the enemy trenches how much nicer the Germans had trenches?
4: Yeah, it, it seems like the front line section of the trenches were had death in terms of how they were dug and how doorways or pathways were constructed.
2: Yeah, it was insane. Like they came in there and they poured cement, and they had bunkers and stuff with uh, yeah. barracks where you could sleep. That was crazy. Yeah, and as they make their they're trying to get their way through this place. Uh, I think one path is. Oh, that's one thing that we'll continue to see in the film is as the Germans have left, they've uh, demolished things. If they've as they've left, we'll see yeah. that they've killed cows, they've chopped down trees, they've tried to make it where you can't live there or get food, basically. <laughs>
4: yeah they've also uh destroyed their big artillery guns
2: oh yeah the when that part when they're see all the artillery guns and there's nothing but shells like everywhere, yeah, that was crazy, and when they're in this underground area when uh again they uh they realize oh crap, a tripwire don't move, and you see the rat pop down and he runs right into the tripwire, that part you know made me jump and got popcorn everywhere were you thinking okay we've already lost one of the guys
4: i don't know about that i was i wasn't so much worried i i was set up for revealed that there was still going to be a soldier or two there, there and that they, the flashlight was going to follow the rat and then all of a sudden boom there's <laughs> there's a german soldier or something i didn't i didn't realize that the tripwire thing was going to happen but i didn't think at that early of a point that they were going to kill off one of the soldiers
2: yeah i thought of booby traps because i've seen up war movies where like a doll or something will be wired and right. I was hoping they wouldn't touch anything. When he bends down to pick up the cans, I was like, "Oh no, no, no! Don't mess <laughs> with that stuff," because they got out of there, and you know somebody set something. And uh, Blake digs Schofield out of the rubble, and he's like covered in bricks and or rocks and dust, and he he saves his life there. And uh, yeah schofield can't see and he's like just hold on to me as they rush out of there as the whole place is caving in and there's even this cool part where they have to jump over like a pit you know what's funny is uh i got a video gaming type feel sometimes in this movie i don't have you played god of war the new one
4: i have not although i own it
2: yeah that game is all in one take just like this movie yeah, where the camera is always behind the character and it stays there and you follow him everywhere. And of course, you know, you go to menu screens and stuff like that. But everything is always behind the character, no matter what you do, like a single take. And at times I thought of that, of God of War, as I was watching this, you know, it's a completely different thing. But as they were running and they had to they're running towards us and they had to jump over the pit. It made me think of a video game like Uncharted or something where you're running towards yourself and you have to like watch out for things. But um, when they get out of there, Schofield is so pissed off at Blake, like, why did you pick me to come with you to do this? Mm. And I love he's honest. He's like, I didn't know what they were going to have us do. I thought we were going on a food run or something. He's like, yeah. I have no idea this is what it would be.
4: Yeah, and I just wanted to point out to something you uh, just said where you were thinking of uh, video game uh or, or, or there's a video game like quality to the way that it follows them through one obstacle after another. There are still critics to this day who think that if a movie resembles a video game that it's that, that that's a that's a mark against it and you know, people like you and I don't really think so.
2: I think it's neat. I think it's yeah, it's, it's really cool. That reminds me of that.
4: And it's really shown how video games have improved in their their ability uh, as, far, as far as presentation or bringing you through bringing you through a, a video game where it can present that cinematic thing. It doesn't have to just be one thing or the other, and uh, we don't uh, we don't want to lose narrative we we don't want to trade the qualities from one format to another i i think that's what people are getting at but some people are really bad at expressing what or what doesn't work for a movie with them and so they'll retreat to some lazy ass thing like this resembles a video game and that's that's a very frustrating thing about certain critics
2: yeah in no way do i think that as a negative i i think right. it just reminds me of something i've seen before and i think that's neat i think cory barlog who did god of war he had this idea of doing a single take video game which is amazing and sam mendes had the idea of doing a film that way there's just two different guys who both did a, a similar idea and there's nothing wrong with that and neither detracts from the other
4: yeah i mean it's it it, for this movie it works to keep keep us focused with these two guys or you know we're in the spoiler territory right now right
2: yes absolutely
4: okay i just want to make sure because at some particular point in this movie we lose one of these characters yeah and it's important that you stay with this one one guy because it it brings about this sense of isolation Right. as he's going through either areas that are populated or not or whether there's artil- whether there's explosions and gunfire or not that it's essential not only for the purposes of immersion in the story but also the tension in the plot that there is some sense of isolation with these two characters or one of them or uh, you know a- a- as it continues that's one of the most effective things about it
2: the thing that is so emotional in that scene, uh, you know, if we just cut right to it, that after Blake is stabbed and he bleeds to death and he dies, we've followed these two characters up to this point, And there's a part where Schofield turns around and he's not ready to leave Blake's body there because yeah. these other soldiers come along and they're like, hey, come with us. You can come with us. And um, the great Mark Strong shows up. He he brings yeah. light to every movie he's in, whether he plays a villain or whatever. He's always fantastic. Yeah, and he's like, was he your friend? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, uh, I'm I'm sorry that happened, but you know, right. He says that later on, but he says you can't dwell on it. But
5: yeah,
4: a- and I and I apologize for jumping a little too far through the movie because I wanted. I wanted to get back to that point where mm-hmm. they've gotten out of the German trenches and Schofield is, uh, you know, kind of complaining to Blake, you know, why did you bring me along? Blake, Blake says, well, I didn't know what they were going to pick us for. And, uh, bef- and on the way between the, tr- between the uh, trenches and that farmhouse that they get to, that's when you get the discussion regarding the medal and the importance or the lack of depending on which character you're talking to. Right. And and you've got this great, the long, great, continuous take takes us into the farmhouse where we see it's unoccupied, but it's also just been blasted to shit.
2: So many of these video games we play now, whether it be God of War or The Last of Us, involves us going through a house and looting it while the other <laughs> character goes outside and you can hear them talking the whole time. And that reminded me of a video game too, not in a bad yeah. way.
4: As we said, like I was, you're thinking of God of war and I was thinking of last of us.
2: Yeah. That scene was very last of us as you could hear him talking to him as he's outside. Yeah. I and mean, also can't forget about the cherry trees because we see that the Germans have chopped down the cherry trees and he kind of describes to him. Like, there's, there's all kinds of cherry trees. There's bitter trees. There's sweet trees. There's sweet cherries, bitter cherries and all that and I thought that was very interesting. And there's a callback to that later on, also.
4: Right, but then we get to uh, a dogfight, and and I gotta say that there was this inspired a recent dream, or should I say nightmare that I've had, where uh, I you would if you've seen any trailers or TV spots, you probably seen uh, what is now going to be one of the most uh, impressive shots, where you see a German plane gets shot down, and then it comes, of course, straight towards them to where the stables are, and just narrowly, just narrowly misses both of them. And for some reason, I had a dream, or it should really just be a nightmare, where for some reason, I was in... (laughs) <laughs> world war one setting and i was sitting on some so, next to some soldiers on a field like we were at, eating rash, rations or something and then a uh, plane gets shot out of the sky and the plane just lands right next to me but for some reason the propellers on one of the engine is still going and i'm hearing this sound that sounds like it's cutting bodies up where it landed. <laughs> oh I don't know why my brain thinks of shit like that. But uh I had that dream. I had memories of that dream going into this movie where I was finally going to see that that uh plane crash uh in context and it was it was a crazy ass scene. I would also love to know how they pull that off.
2: What I love about that is they're watching from a distance they're like, "Oh, dogfight." And, uh, <laughs> and they're like oh it looks like they got him and he's going and he goes behind the the horizon and we've seen so many times in a film where a plane goes behind a mountain or something you just hear yeah. you see smoke but it goes like right over right towards him and they're like oh and they're like have to <laughs> to run out and also before that scene let's not forget that Earlier, Schofield dumped all of his water in his eyes because he couldn't see, and now he has an empty canteen. And he hears a cow moo, and he looks down, and there's like a pail full of milk. And he drinks the milk, and it's good, so he fills his canteen full of milk. And that's important for later. The plane crashes in the barn. It starts on fire, and you can hear the guy screaming, the pilot. And Blake is like... I think Schofield says, we need to kill, shoot him, put him out of his misery. And Blake's like, no, no, help him out, help him out. And I think there's something, it says something about Blake here, like all he sees is a human life that needs help at this moment. He's not thinking that this is an enemy soldier. He's just like, there's a guy on fire. We need to help him. And Schofield's like, we need to put him out of his misery. This is choreography that I think what I talked about earlier, how well the choreography goes is because the camera follows schofield as blake says get some water get some water and he turns around the camera follows schofield and he pumps some water and you hear like a like a scuffle he's like no no and the camera follows him back as he turns and you see that the the german soldier has stabbed blake in the stomach
4: in the abdomen
2: yeah yeah and now schofield he kills the German soldier. He shoots him twice. Which every time you hear a gunshot at this movie, it'll make you friggin' jump. I swear. Yeah. And immediately, did you? Could you tell Blake look pale as a sheet? Like immediately.
4: His face did seem to be getting lighter as uh, Schofield held him. Yeah, it was. It that was. I, I always love how they can do that in movies. But uh, just to touch back on. Blake's decision to try to help the pilot, despite the fact that Schofield says we should just put him out of his mercy. You remember there there's a moment when they're going through the German barracks and Schofield notices a photo of one on one of the bedposts where yeah. it's also it's also a sign to us that these are these soldiers. They're not the not the Nazis yet. There's there's been some idiots on the film Twitter who still think that these guys are Nazi Germany. They're not Nazis yet. They're just German soldiers. It's like no no but no, that,
2: this is World War One.
4: Yeah, this is World War One. And but like you said, Blake sees these guys as human beings, but the the film also lets you know that these guys also have families despite the fact that, you know, it's wartime. And uh, but, yeah, it's 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 a cruel twist of fate that Blake's, uh, you know, good intentions results results in, you know, being stabbed to death. And uh, that's a really that's a really unfortunate way to go.
2: That scene was intense because you see the life going out of him as he's talking And Schofield once he's like, we got to get you to a medic station. Come on. You got to stand up. And he's like, I can't stand up. And he's like crying in pain. He's like, stop, stop, please set me down. Set me down. I'm begging you. So he sets him down and he's like, I'm dying. aren't I?" And he's just like, yeah, you are. And he immediately starts giving him the stuff like the, the letter he's the general's letter. And then he's like, I need you to write my mother. And, uh, does he say something there about his brother? Like, he does say, "Tell me you will finish the mission," right?
4: Yes, I, I think it's it's a message for his for not only his mother and I, I. I just remember, you know, you know, anything you want me to tell your mother, and he says, "Tell them I wasn't afraid," and yeah. tell them that I love them.
2: I feel like we both seen the film once that he said. Promise me you'll finish this. Yeah, and he's like, "I will, I will." And there's this m- great moment where you see him; he's going through his things, and you see him; he's putting each thing away, and he takes off his rings and his dog tag, and he puts it in the lining of his jacket. Because I remember seeing different things like this in documentaries that soldiers they had places to stash things like all over them, you know. Yeah, and they hid them things and papers and the linings of their their coats and stuff like that so you see him doing things like that and he's sitting there for a long time and then he decides he needs he's going to drag the body into the shade and as he's doing it these two soldiers show up and they're like hey do you need some help with that and he sees that they're on his side they're two fellow soldiers and they help him move the body and he's just standing there looking at him and he's like oh it's a friend of yours and he's like yeah yeah It's like, oh man, that's, that's tough. And they're like, uh, yeah, we're going so-and-so. And And that's when Mark Strong shows up and he invites him. Oh, and he tells Mark Strong his orders and he's like, uh, okay, well you can catch a ride with us. And that's when you go out there. And I love this moment because we're still with Schofield's frame of mind where we're still kind of in shock by Blake's death. Yeah. And we're now entering a different world where these soldiers are joking around, they're doing impressions of other officers or whatever. And
4: Five of them are pissing on sides of the house.
2: Yeah, and we even see like the the superior officers yelling at them to move this damn tree out of the way. <laughs> and they it's funny he goes, uh Uh he's basically telling them to get on this truck and the truck looks like it's filled to the brim with dudes. Doesn't it? Like it does. There's no more room on this truck, but they all slide over and they even say like, Oh, they're driving and he's just listening. We're looking at Schofield's face kind of still in shock the entire time as these guys are joking around and talking and stuff. And he's not having any of it or even listening to them. I don't think. And when the truck gets stuck in the mud, he gets this urgency on his face where he's like, you know, I have some place important. I need to be, you know, help me. And he's pushing it. And finally they all join in and they're pushing the truck and finally it moves. And they all, he's like, all right, get back on, get back on. And you kind of see him take charge there. Don't we? Yeah. Like he's Like everybody off, everybody off. And he's like, everybody back on, everybody back on. And so there's like, so what's so important? Where are you in a rush to? And he basically says, these are my orders. And if I don't get there, 1600 men will die. And I think it's also cool. We see a uh, a soldier with a turban on. Yeah. There. I thought that was amazing. We see different soldiers of different creeds. You know, we're all fighting on the same side. And uh, they're like, well, the bridge is out. This is where you get off. You have to cut through there the soldier even says, Hey, I hope you make it. Cause there some of the guys say you'll never make it. And he's like, I have to the way, you know, the camera follows Schofield. So you just hear those guys drive away. You know, you, you never see them drive away. You know, they have, but right. He's all alone again. And what did you think of that bridge crossing sequence?
4: Yeah, that was, uh, that was really great. And also you've got, these complicated camera moves where it's moving over a body of water mm-hmm. and it really shouldn't be able to do that so uh, i mean again how the cam again i'm i'm you're going to watch it again you're going to try to figure out where they cut it or how did they transition from a steady cam mount to a crane and it's it's really it's really tough to to know for sure unless someone shows you a breakdown of the shots, but uh, but yeah, I was just going, okay, is that truly the best way across? You're going to climb on top of that thing and tiptoe <laughs> across that broken. I was thinking it was going to collapse on him, and then he starts getting shot at, and uh, now we got uh, another kind of an action scene. But before we get before we leave, I just want to mention one last thing about uh, the the farmhouse where we leave Blake. Right. Uh, you mentioned earlier we're still in the mindset of Schofield. We're still in the mindset of the shock of losing Blake and. The camera, as Schofield walks away with the the, the unit who's uh, come by to give him a ride, the camera stays with Blake's body as long as possible, and then it yes. follows him through the house. He gets on the truck. The camera gets behind Schofield as he's sitting behind in the truck, and in the background you can see the farmhouse, and you may be able to see the speck of uh, Blake's body still on there, and Schofield's looking back at it. It's uh, that that's such brilliant camera work and brilliant blocking to uh,
2: the camera has followed Blake and Schofield this whole time. And now it's like we can't we're trying to but Blake will no longer be in the shot anymore. We've got to go right right now. He's gone. And it's kind of this longing shot that uh, he's gone now. And I did get pretty choked up at that scene.
4: Yeah, and I don't know if I've just been conditioned into watching movies or watching their trailers. The trailers for the most part, the majority of them had Schofield. It, it never really spoiled anything, but you could be wa- walking into the movie with the with the impression that at some particular point Blake's probably going to bite it. You just right. don't expect it to happen this early into the movie
2: right and that's the thing is we we have blake he's the enthusiastic one and he has a reason to get there and we have schofield the reluctant one so naturally the enthusiastic one that needs to complete this mission he's going to die and then schofield the reluctant one will owe it to blake to make it to get there and finish the mission and that makes sense narratively. yeah it's just and, that it seems to happen so early we're not expecting Blake to die this soon.
4: Right and uh not only that but you Blake is the one who's more uh familiar with maps or reading a compass than than Schofield is. Yeah. So now Schofield has to take over for that.
2: And the thing is like you expect that they're going to meet some kind of firepower. Somebody's going to shoot am- a division of Germans shooting at them or bombs. But it turns out to be a guy on fire that they help, and he stabs him in the stomach. You know? Yeah. That, that's how he dies. And it shows just how dangerous it is. You Anything can kill you out here.
4: Right. But uh, let's uh, skip forward back to the crossing of the bridge scene which was not only for me i thought it was going to go down for him another way like the bridge wasn't going to hold but uh, no he encounters a rogue uh, or maybe it just seems like it's a rogue because later in that sequence when he's crossing overnight there's there's like a few more soldiers he has to worry about but that I, i i just thought sooner or later. He's going to go through all this territory and yeah, he's going to meet a sniper. You right. So that was a crazy sequence. And
2: the thing in that scene, they've kind of built it up earlier like here, grab some grenades. I was like, "Oh, he's going to chuck a grenade right through that window." But he never did. <laughs> I was like, "Throw a grenade in that window. Do it." But he he wouldn't do it. But he, he does shoot at him and I was for sure. I was like, "Oh, he got him." He needs to just keep going like but instead he goes to investigate and in my, in my head, I was like, just go like, keep going. Just go past the building. Don't worry about it. But instead he goes inside, but this is kind of a genius thing because when you think about it, we're watching a two hour movie, but the movie's going to contain more hours than that, the way time passes. So we need a right. s- severe chunk of time to pass by. What better than to have the main character be knocked unconscious, right?
4: Right. And, apparently he does get the sniper but not but not enough to actually kill him yeah and he opens the door and and the the guy is weak enough but he's he's got enough strength to raise the rifle and basically like a bullet grazes him in the head and that's what knocks out Schofield
2: I gotta say that that shot where he shoots the guy and he gets shot at too, and you're not sure if he's hit and he falls back. The screen goes black for an uncomfortable amount.
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: And I'm like, I was kind of like, okay.
4: <laughs> I, I thought for sure someone in the theater was going, someone was going to whisper, all right, fine. Is it over?
2: Is, is he, it, wh- hello, projector guy? And then he wakes up. That shot of him waking up and going, up the steps again and you see the lighting from outside of the flares and it illuminates the dead body of the German was like, I was almost like, magnifique! This is beautiful! You know, look at this shot here. There's a shot later that where he's standing in front of fire and you see the German soldier, you're not sure who it is, a German soldier, a British soldier, whatever, is walking towards him. That is unbelievable cinematography there it was just gorgeous and frightening at the same time because the gunshots are so freaking loud
4: yeah i i I couldn't get it out of my head when he woke up i was just thinking oh no he's lost time there's no telling how many hours he's been out so now Mm -hmm. he's really he's really got to uh to uh step it up and pick up the pace, but now he's, uh, certainly in a, in an area where there's going to be some, some, uh, threats to him.
2: First, he meets the woman though, because that guy yeah. who's shooting at him, he runs away and he ducks into a, 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 cellar, yeah, or basement. And he's kind of like hovering there for a bit because, you know, it's, he just woke up from a long nap from being, <laughs> you know, and then he's being chased and running for his life. And now he's in pitch blackness. And then he, realizes that there's a woman in there with them. And he's like, no, no, not German, not German. And, uh, she helps him comforts him with his, he apparently has a bad gash on the back of his head. I guess yeah. the, the bullet grazed the back of his head or something.
4: Or hit the helmet. Maybe.
2: Yeah. But,
4: and, or hit the helmet in, and where it passed through. I don't know.
2: Yeah. He's a, he's got a head wound that's bleeding and she helps him there. And then, it's so heartbreaking when she has a baby and he says, what is her name? And she says, I have no idea. And he's like, who is the mother? And she says, I have no idea. And he just, right then he's like, here, take all my food, take everything I have. And she's like, the baby can't eat this stuff. It needs milk. And you see him sitting there for a second. he's like, I have milk. And he gives her the canteen filled with milk and she smells it. She's like, thank
1: you. Mm.
2: And that was just heartbreaking because he kind of snaps out of it. She's like, you stay here with us. And he's like, oh, I got to go. You know, I've got a job to do. I got some place that I got to go. And she's like, it's morning. You'll They'll see you. You'll be shot. He knows that he has to get to the place. So yeah. it's kind of heartbreaking he has to leave her and that baby there.
4: Yeah, it's tempting to want to stay with her.
2: Yeah, because... It feels safe there, but we do know there are Germans up on the surface, you know, mulling around, getting drunk or whatever. Like, when he stumbles upon that one German just barfing his guts out, Yeah, they're just, like, drinking booze. And then he finds that young soldier, and he's basically telling him to be quiet. He's trying to shh, but he ends up having to choke him to death as the other soldier is in the background. That was uh-huh. crazy.
4: Yeah, it, it just it, he he goes like he hears some scuffle, and he and in the background as Schofield's trying to strangle the other guy, the other guy's wandering back, and Schofield's looking at him, come the and, guy coming towards him, is yeah. like, can he finish strangling this guy and attack the other before it's it, in time?
2: Forever, and also the guy, you know, Schofield's in the dark str- strangling the guy, and the other guy is in the light, and he's kind of like you know, he's speaking German, but I assume he's saying, where are you? What are you doing? And, yeah, he's, and he's walking drunk. closer and he's stumbling around. And then finally he like runs up to him and just shoves him real hard. And Schofield has dropped his rifle at this point, And he's just running with no gun or anything. And yeah. you hear whistling and guys yelling and they're all taking shots at him, but he's just hauling ass through there. And it's freaky. And the camera is going around him and, the way it's all, you know, as we said before, it's a single shot is an amazing sequence as he's running for yeah. his life, that concludes with him jumping and landing in the river. And yeah, about, the river
4: he was supposed to find.
2: Oh yeah, the, the woman said he said, "How do I get to this place?" And she said, "Follow the river. The river will take you right there."
4: Yeah, there are trees.
2: And when he is in this river, this is one of those scenes where he goes, he goes over a waterfall. And he disappears, and the camera is just lingering on the surface. Then finally, he pops out to get breath, and it's you know, we've seen him go over rapids and like nearly crash into boulders and stuff like that. When he's floating, it's peaceful, and you see him kind of like resign himself and kind of his head goes under, and then he wakes up again. Like, this guy is exhausted. Yeah. And. I felt like this is the movie telling us, but at the same time, the cherry blossoms as they're falling on the water, and they're falling on his face, and he realizes what they were. It's like a reminder. You have a mission to do. Go. Yeah. Did you feel like that's what that was?
4: Totally. It totally reinvigorated his his sense of purpose, uh, despite the fact that he was really tired and fatigued.
2: Yeah, and then at the bottom of the dam where the river goes is just tons of dead bodies.
4: Yeah, oh, man, that was nasty.
2: And he had to crawl over dead bodies. And that was too much for him because that after he gets out of there, he's just sobbing. Yeah. Like he can't take it anymore. He's kind of broken at that point. He may have a concussion at this point. I don't know. Hmm. Because he looks like a zombie at this point. And that's when he's wandering in the woods and he hears singing. And this scene was beautiful, how we're following him. And it's kind of creepy in a way, isn't it? Because you see at a distance, there's a mass of people, but you're not quite sure what you're looking at until it gets closer. And you realize it's a gathering of soldiers, not enemy soldiers, thank God. And there's one of the soldiers singing to them. Yeah,
4: he's singing Wayfaring Stranger
2: and that scene is absolutely beautiful in the way that Schofield comes up and he's, he leans against a tree and he slides down and he's all the men are sitting on the ground. So he's at the level with those men and they're all sitting there watching this. And the camera pans all, it goes all the way around everyone. We see the singer and then it turns and we see Schofield way in the back of all these men. And the camera goes in on all of them. And it just feels so intimate. This scene Like, Schofield, he's like this alien to what's going on, but you see the pain on his face as you see all these other men who don't look like they haven't been through trauma like he's gone through recently, you know? Yeah. And when they're all done and they're all getting up, they turn. What I love about this movie also is how everyone's immediately helpful. Like, hey, are you okay? Do you need some help? And they're, like, helping him up. Hey, where do you need to be? And he's like, tells them, you know, I have orders for so-and-so I'm looking for company. So-and-so. And that, they're like, that's us. We're company. So-and-so I'm sorry. I don't remember. And you're like, Oh yeah, the, God.
5: it's
4: he, the second. Uh, it's like second battalion. I, I forgot what, what he referred to them. Devonshire regiment. They are you know, looking for the second dev or something like that.
2: Yeah. And there's this kind of maddening scene where he's going through this throng of soldiers, single file through the trenches where he keeps getting to a guy who looks like uh, someone in charge, and he's like, hey, are you uh, uh, General so-and-so or whatever? Is this?" And he's like, keep going that way, that way. And there's guys already marching into battle, and don't they even tell him at one point, like, yeah, we've started attacking. Some of these regiments have already gone.
4: Yeah, the first wave, had already went over by the time he gets there.
2: Yeah, so he's really late, but he's still not going to give up. Yeah, he needs to save his life. He has no idea if Blake's brother has gone in yet at this point. And the scene, which is like the the climax of the film is when he realizes it's quicker to climb up out of the trench and run on the battle lines. And we've seen that scene in the trailer. And it's amazing that tracking shot of him just running towards us as all the men are charging over the hill and bombs going off and he's running into soldiers. It was funny. Steven and I afterwards were talking in the parking lot, and he wondered if some of those takes were accidental where he runs into other soldiers, but they're like, just keep going, keep running. You know what I mean? And I can easily see that.
4: I I, I also kind of think it's possible that that was uh, intentional for him to be so laser focused on reaching a particular port of the trenches that he doesn't he doesn't see the soldier that he's running into.
2: Right. And also I love, this is another thing that I love about this, how the camera is following him and he's right there at the camera running. And we keep getting further and further away from him as he's running. Like he's bumping into guys. He's getting knocked over one guy. He knocks over and the guy lays down like he's dead, but then he kind of gets back up, you know, it was almost like the soldier's like, wait, I'm not dead. And that's what it felt like to me. And he's. Yeah. And finally he arrives and he's like, I need to speak to General So and so. And the guy's like, oh, he's that way. And he still hasn't quite made it there yet. And when he finally arrives to the bunker, he's like, he's in there, but there's no way we're letting you in there. And then what happens there? Does he say, he's like, I have important orders. And have, I'm going.
4: Right. I have orders. Yeah.
2: So when we get there, the general is none other than Benedict Cumberbatch. Yep. Of course, he doesn't want to hear Schofield right away. He's like, well, we've already started the battle. Uh, there's no point. And he's like, it's a trap, sir. They've laid a trap. You need to read this. And you see all the other guys are looking at the general like, hey, are you listening to what this guy saying? And he's like, fine. Any motions. It looks like he reads a letter in two seconds, doesn't it? Like, he just kind of glances at it. He's like, he
4: he skims it over for, you know, the certain phrases they'll give him, they'll give him the gist of what the message is.
2: And then he's like, very well, stand down. (laughs) And he's like, uh, you know, you just delayed the inevitable. And a week from now, they're going to tell me attack at dawn. Mm hmm. And I love, doesn't he say something like, all right, good job, cough? No, cough, <laughs> no,
4: yeah. Yeah, yeah love, that's, he, he, this was exactly what the Mark Strong character was telling him about, uh, you know, make sure that there are witnesses because some men just want to fight. Yeah. He just, he just basically, there's only one way this will end, you know, last man standing.
2: Right. I love when he exits the bunker, there's a guy standing there and the guy goes, good job. job? Yeah. Well done, sir. Thank you. Like you just, he's basically saying you just saved a lot of lives. Yeah. And that's when he's kind of staying there and he kind of snaps out and he's like, Blake, do you know if Blake went? And he's like, I think he was with the first division. You know, you might find him in the, what do they call it? When people, the triage, when people are injured, he's like, either he'll be with the wounded or, and he just kind of travels off and he's like, okay. It's like he could yeah. be dead. Great long shot where you see all the I'm not gonna say great as I enjoyed it. It was very sad, all these wounded yeah. soldiers. We know what you mean. And he's going around and the camera is following him and then I love how like Schofield disappears from the shot, but then he comes back because he's weaving in there. Yeah. And, and he doesn't see him. And remember, I don't know if you remember this, but Blake said, you will recognize my brother. He looks just like me. He sounds just like me.
4: And a little older.
2: Yeah, but he's older. And they used to pick the cherry trees together. And so he's just standing there kind of like, well, he doesn't see him. And then he hears a voice. He's like, you boys, you, you need some help over there? You guys, you need to get some rest. And, and then he turns and he goes, Blake? And he turns around and it's Rob Stark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh richard madden i believe yeah actors and he's like yeah and he goes i'm from company so-and-so and you see his it's heartbreaking the way his face lights up he goes that's the company my brother's in he's like yes i served with blake and he's like is he here and he's like no and he's like he went out quickly it was quick and you just see he's devastated and he gives him his rings and everything. And I I love that he says he was a good man and he saved my life. And he's like, oh, thank you for telling me that. And he's like, would it be all right if I wrote your mother? And he's like, yes, please do. Uh, That scene was pretty devastating too, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, I love how Madden, you know, he hands over the rings and the dog tag and Madden just stands there frozen like he's still processing the shock of, the news of his brother's death. And it's like, he holds that pose throughout almost the entire scene. Uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, that's really, that was really powerful to watch someone who can maintain, who can maintain his composure despite the fact, you know, receiving news of the worst kind.
2: Yeah. And he's even like, Oh, um, what was your name? And he's like, Schofield, Will Schofield. He goes, you you could probably use some food. Do you need you know you need some supplies and stuff? He's basically like taking care of him immediately. Like you need help, and he's like, oh, "I'll be fine." And we get to follow him to this the most beautiful tree you've ever seen. Am I right? Like
4: it definitely stands out. Like this one lone kind of look, kind of almost looks like it's petrified, but white looking tree in the middle of this battlefield or it's way it's it's not it's not in the battlefield it's like beyond you know the enemy lines but yeah just to see this 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 white tree just overlooking all this green field yeah
2: and he sits down at the tree and he slides down this guy's completely exhausted he's done his job job well done sir and he pulls out the little case that i believe the general's orders were in it too it's like a protective tin that probably mm-hmm. had cigarettes in it, cigarette case. And he has pictures of his family. And I assume maybe daughters or sisters.
4: Yeah, that's I'm assuming that's one picture is his wife and the other two are pictures of his two daughters. We never really know that he has a family until that point.
2: And he turns over the photo and it says come home to us. Or come home safe. And it focuses on his face under the tree and then the it goes dark. And I just want to say one thing I noticed in different parts of the movie. I could see people getting up and going to the restroom and stuff. There was a woman who got up to go to the bathroom as he's running on the battlefield. That's the most incredible sequence in the film. She got up to go to the bathroom. Hmm. She comes back to sit down as he's leaning against the tree. She, oh, missed, no. she missed him going to the general and she missed him visiting the brother. She missed all of that. And I kept thinking that. I was like, this stupid lady could not hold <laughs> her bladder for like 10 more minutes. Are you kidding me?
5: <laughs> yeah.
2: And it drives me crazy that people do that in movies. They miss everything. She missed the most important part of the movie. Yeah. But, oh, well her loss, right?
4: Yeah, but uh but we leave Schofield as we found them leaning up against a tree and resting.
2: Oh, yeah, you're right. That's beautiful. What do they call that? Uh visual poetry or something?
4: <laughs> sure, well, let's let's oh, call man. it that.
2: Also, it has a little thing at the end like about the soul stories the soldiers tell and it was dedicated to an officer with the last name Mendez who I believe is Yeah. The name. Sam mendes that, it's
4: his' it's his paternal grandfather wow, and it was based on uh portions of a story that his grandfather told uh told his family members, including Sam
2: that's amazing, yeah, so it's and not necessarily his grandfather that did the mission, but he just heard of the mission. Maybe.
4: Yeah, I'm pretty sure he embellished uh, some of some oh, of yeah. it. I mean, because the movie never out outstates is this is based on a true story or whatever. It take yeah. it took place during you know real events.
2: Yeah, and that's fine because the movie is based in realism. You know, everything about this feels real, and uh, it's an incredible story and it's an incredible journey. And we were with them from beginning to end. And uh, Schofield is forever changed because of it.
4: Yeah, I'm looking at an article on this where Sam Mendes uh, is talking about the inspiration for the story. Uh, this is on the uh, a radio, an NPR radio station called T- KTEP, and uh, it, it states the movie is inspired by the war stories of Mendes' grandfather, Alfred Mendes, who enlisted as a 17 year old and fought in World War One. Alfred became a novelist and a writer, though he didn't tell his own children about the war experiences until late in life. And Mendy says it wasn't until his mid-70s that he decided he was going to tell the stories of what happened to him when he was in his teenage years. And there was one particular story he told us of being tasked to carry a single message through No Man's Land in dusk in the winter of 1916. He was a small man, and they used to send him with messages because he ran five and a half feet, and the mist used to hang about six feet in No Man's Land. So he was invisible above the mist, and that stayed with me, and that was the story I found that I wanted to tell.
2: That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, You could tell he was quite inspired with this story to tell and it's uh, masterfully told and I highly enjoyed it. Afterwards, you know, I stayed, Stephen and I stayed through the entire credits as uh, people got up and left and I was just like, you know, it's one of those films that's like, I'm going to be walking around all day thinking about this movie, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. Do you ever do that? Like you just find yourself, you know, some movies you see and you forget about them as soon as you leave the theater, but this one I've been thinking about ever since and I really would love to watch it again.
4: Yeah, I would too. And yeah, I've had, I've had moments with movies where I would just be in either a state of elation or a weird days of sorts, where uh, you know I was just letting the movie just kind of, uh, you know, marinate in my mind or something like I, I just couldn't. Ch- I I I was thinking about you know whether it was intense or not or just thinking about it you know throughout the evening and the days afterward but yeah yeah I, i've had that experience i should also mention that the the article that i just quoted uh i'll put a link into it whenever you post this episode in the uh the fan club awesome because it's a good article with uh, plenty of information about certain scenes in the movie also do not read it if you haven't seen the movie
2: I just can't stop thinking about that lady who got up to go to the bathroom.
4: <laughs> yeah, I've uh, – that's – I mean, you sometimes you got to go when you got to go, but man, what what awful timing.
2: <laughs> the worst timing ever.
4: And I couldn't – and I'm sure you've seen this. Uh, uh, when we were filing – when we were going out of the screen room, I couldn't help but notice someone brought a kid into there.
2: Oh, my God. Well, then – the
4: thinking what why would you bring a kid into this
2: the whole movie's a single take yet you get up to go to the bathroom i just can't fathom that it's like i can't take my eyes off the screen because it's a single take (laughs)
5: yeah
2: (laughs) it's not broken scenes but it's so awesome you know i know like there's parts where a tree passes through the lens or the you know or they pass away into darkness that's when they make the cuts that doesn't matter I just think it's amazing that they pulled off the illusion of a single take and that how gorgeous the film is. Right. It's uh, quite an experience. And I was happy to make this the first ever episode of the Mulberry Matinee.
4: Honored to be a part of it, sir.
2: And I thank you for being a part of it. Uh, that early showing, I saw at 1130 a.m., $10 in the XD theater. That's pretty good for this day and age. Okay. And it was funny seeing Stephen arrive. Like I originally said, Steven, do you want to go see 1917 on Saturday? And he goes, oh, I got plans. Sorry. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I texted him later. I was like, I'm going to go at 1130 a.m. on Sunday morning. And he said, OK, I'll meet you there. And I was like, what? I was like, seriously? And he goes, yeah. Tell me what seat you're sitting in because it's like reserved seating. So I told him and he didn't arrive until the trailers were... It was pitch black in the theater and uh, f- trailers were showing. And mm-hmm. I was I was thinking the whole time, like, Ah, oh, he's not coming. There's no way. And when he... All of a sudden, I see him walking up there with popcorn. I go, Steven? He's here? Like, I couldn't believe it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I got into the screening room, the trailers had all... Played and I got in there just as the uh, Universal logo was going on the screen. I was just thinking, man, just in time.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's funny because they show so many trailers now. You might make it. Like I remember Heather left work in uh, where she works in Irving, and Star Wars. We were waiting in the you know, she had her ticket already where she was going to join us, and. She said, I'm leaving work now. And I go, are you crazy? This is Showtime. The movie is starting. She made it there before the trailers were over, before the movie started. And I was like, oh my God, this has like been over 30 minutes of trailers. Like that caused her to get there on time. Even though, like I guess Showtime was seven. She arrived at 730 and the movie hadn't started yet. (laughs) It's insane. But um, Adam... Thank you so much for joining me on the first ever episode of the Mulberry matinee. Like I said, guys, this is like the new podcast we're doing now, a film podcast. I love this film, 1917. I know there'll be times we might do a film that we're not too excited about, but that'll be equally fun to talk about. Don't you think? I do. (laughs) You never know when the next Vin Diesel movie comes out. (laughs) I kid! He does great quality stuff. I don't know what I'm talking about, right? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to watch The Irishman. I would love to cover that film with you, sir, if we can. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So, I guess, have we said everything we want to say about the 1917?
4: I guess, but now since the we tried to keep it as mature as we possibly could and that we tried to uh keep it focused on the very serious and very dramatic aspects of the movie i just wanted to say before we end sam mendy's nuts
2: (laughs) (laughs) very good sir very good (laughs) i'm proud of you you made it this long so that's good
4: i know i was struggling there
2: (laughs) (laughs) guys if you have enjoyed this episode if you have seen 1917 and you want to talk to us about it comment on the entertainment landfill fan club on facebook if you're not on facebook send a voicemail i'll play it on the next episode i love discussing things with people discussing film i'd love to hear what you guys have to say about it so until then We'll see you at the movies. Oh, wait, that might be trademarked, Adam. I can't say. We'll see you at in the balcony. Oh, wait, that might be taken, too. <laughs> we'll see you in reserve seating, sir. Uh, there you go. We'll see you in the motorized recliner. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, that was the show. I hope you enjoyed the inaugural episode of the Mulberry Matinee. This is an idea I've had for a while where I just wanted to discuss film with a friend. And my first friend was Adam Sexton. Again, I want to thank him for being on the show. This will be the part of the show after each episode where I will play voicemails, if we have any. And uh, also thank people for listening and supporting the show over the years. For the foreseeable future, I'm going to be doing this. I'm putting the regular entertainment landfill format on hold for now. And there are different reasons for that. One of them is mainly burnout. It just happens. It takes a lot of work. And I know it's kind of flaky because I said, hey guys, we're going to the old format. And, you know, DVDs are back. But after doing. Like eight of those episodes, I realized there's a reason I stopped doing this because it's exhausting. <laughs> you know, I enjoy doing the show and it's a lot of fun but but over the holiday break, I realized I want to try something else i've been listening to film podcasts, and it's not like this is something new i 've never done before. you know we 've done single review shows before we've done NIM movie minis like the one I did with Ken. But this is something I want to do for now Where basically I will watch a film Have a guest We'll talk all about that film Then the next week We'll talk about something else And hopefully you guys are along for the ride I really want you to participate too So if you've seen the film Send it a voicemail Tell me what you think Most of all I just want to have fun And I want you guys to have fun listening So hopefully you enjoy this show But before I go I have had two voicemails on my computer since November, and I don't want to do a disservice to these two people. The first one is Carlos. He sent me a voicemail, and also Ken Preventure, who is my co-host on the Ghostbusters 2 movie mini. I want to play you those two voicemails, and then we will sign off, and I will see you next time. All right, the first voicemail
0: is Carlos. Let's check it out. Hello, Entertainment Landville. I am Carlos coming to you from Arizona. Hey guys, uh, just thought I'd check in with you and see what's happening. Um, I just finished listening to podcasts from last week. Uh, (laughs) Had me cracking up with the uh, rigs drop. Uh, It reminded me a lot of what I do around the house. I've got got a 16-year-old daughter and, of course, my, my wife. I annoy, I'm sure, multiple times per day. But I do something similar around the house. Um, I use the line, you know, when he's going to jump out the building and says, Do you really want to jump? Do you? I I use that one a lot. My my daughter's wanting something, and she'll say, You know, Dad, I I, I really want some chocolate ice cream. And I'll go, Do you really want some chocolate ice cream? Do you? (laughs) And, of course, they both look at me like I'm insane, like some moron. But, you know, it's all in fun. Crack myself up. Um, another one's... I do too. Uh, you can't handle the truth. My daughter will try something on and will come out and say, Dad, tell me the truth. How does this look? And I'll say, You can't handle the truth! <laughs> <laughs> oh, silly me. Dads Living. love torturing their daughters. <laughs> my favorite my favorite above all, and this one's popular with me, and only me, is whenever the name Billy is mentioned in our household, I use the Jim Carrey line. Um... Oh, Billy! You know when he puts his his chest up against the glass window from Cable oh, yeah. Guy? Oh man, I just cracked myself up. They, we used they to still play like, that all they, the time you know, with Bill on the show. Well, I'm just enjoying life, man. So uh, I was checking out uh, oh, Pluto TV. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are familiar with Pluto TV, but Absolutely. there's an app for it. You can get it on all platforms. I think it's really cool. Pluto TV. I think it just sold the Viacom for Viacom for like 340 million dollars. Uh, there's probably upwards of close to 200 channels on this thing now. And for the most part, it's free, guys. It's free. It's, it's almost got like a TV guide on it where they have shows just rolling through. You can click on them and, and change through your channels and just watch shows as they're on. Or there's a bunch of, of uh, streaming movies that are on that you can just click on and watch. And this one that I, that I just recently finished watching was called The ABCs of Death and I'm telling you, this is the, the oddest <laughs> the oddest, most grotesque, strange horror movie I think I've ever seen It's it's got 26 different directors and each one of them takes a letter of the alphabet and associates that associ, associates that with a word of some kind of, 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 of death and, and they do a short little film and it's all put together by these different directors and there's just short little clips of these really weird, twisted horror features. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I don't recommend it. But, you know, it, it's fun. Um, I just caught it, and, and I hadn't mentioned Pluto TV, because I think it's really uh, and it's an awesome service, because it's absolutely free. And who could argue it's free? Another free source of movies for me, of course, is the local library. I mean, right now, if you walk in our, our library, and you walk down the aisles where the DVD section... Used to be this little tiny bookcase. Now there's two full rows. It's like going into a blockbuster video, and they've got all these Blu-rays, and it's crazy. I mean, there's there's just they're just free movies. It's it's like a free blockbuster, which is kind of cool. I mean, I can go in there, and, and uh, right now, we, my wife and I selected the the Bourne movies because I've never seen any of the Jason Bourne films. I don't know why. I don't know how they slipped past us, but we never did. So I, I picked them all up there. We're, we're on the third film now, and it's a great resource for stuff you just want to catch up on and something you don't want to buy but want to check it out. I think the local library is a great thing, and, and, you know, who can pass up on some free Matt Damon, right? Right? Can you imagine, like, being Matt Damon... And people coming up, I, I kind of put myself into this position, just, you know, one of these random thoughts I have. This is really weird. But from a celebrity's point of view, <laughs> they probably encounter multiple people every day who come up to them like they're best friends. Because we all see these people on the big screen and TV, and, and we, we, we know what they look like, how they talk, how they act. And, and we think we know them. It's like, it's like we know their name, we know all about them, we read about them on the Internet. Um, it, it, be, it must be really creepy to them, because when we come up to them and say, Hey, Matt Damon, he's probably looking at us like, like who, He's never seen us before in his life. We're a total <laughs> stranger, he knows nothing about us. But we know everything about them. It's really creepy. weird, huh? Really weird, twisted scenario. Think about it th- from their point of view. It's got to be weird, Right. It's probably a Sorry, I'm a little hyped up, guys. I just drank about three and a half cups of coffee, and now I jumped in my car and I'm heading home. And I'm jammed up in the traffic, so I'm like seatbelted in here, and I'm all caffeinated, hyped up. So I thought I'd throw out a little podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> I am talking on a hands-free device. Everything's safe here. Um, Something else I was thinking about the other days is is, uh, Stranger Things. I'm sure we're all watching Stranger Things now. They ought to make a, a drinking game like they have for the Bob Newhart show, you know, where every time Emily says, Bob, you take a drink. They ought to make one for Stranger Things. And every time the guys say the word guys... Hey, guys. I mean, if you watch hey, it, I just notice, for some reason, every time they say guys, it, it like, stabs into my brain, and, like, uh, uh, and like, multiple times, like, how many times, you know, and you, they usually say it in, you know, in doubles. You know what's funny that you say that, Carlos, is
2: people say that in a lot of movies. There's always, every movie you go to, someone goes, hey, guys, like, hey, guys, they, there's hey, guys, like, in everything, and it does drive you nuts when you start noticing it.
0: First of all, there'll be the group of guys walking through, you know, a forest. And then one of them will go, guys! And nobody will listen, so they'll say it again louder. Guys! Just <laughs> something just noticed, really random. He's Speaking got of point. Bob Newhart, there should be another game that is, like, intros. Like, you play a lot of intros to, like... TV shows and, and the commercials are awesome. I love old commercials. The, the TV show intros, when you hear those from way back when, they trigger so many memories. There should be like a game that they could make where it like describes like an intro to TV shows or a cartoon or something. You know, like like you have a little card and it'll say it say something like phone phone rings, someone answers, piano drums, and then you have to guess what that show is. Which Bob Newhart, of course, you're if you listen to it, you hear the phone ring, Bob says hello, and then you hear the piano ding 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 ding, <laughs> and then the drums. <laughs> and then <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I would roll cool m- right? at that show. So I'm excited about um the new movie, Breaking Bad, El Camino. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited about seeing it on it the big screen. Awesome. <laughs> of course, they're going to you know, throw out some tickets there for the big opening weekend. Uh, of course, I went out and bought them immediately as soon as they were available for the Alamo Draft Drafthouse um, here in Chandler. And I think it's going to be a, an awesome way to watch the film. Um, I'm trying to stay away from any source of any information from this film. Yeah, I, I've been telling my wife lately. You know, she'll she'll see a, a trailer for a movie. And she'll say, "You got to watch this trailer." I'm like, "No, I'm done watching trailers. Yeah. I stopped watching trailers for movies when uh, the film um, Hell or High Water with Jeff Bridges. When that film came out, I didn't want to watch any part of the trailers. I just heard who was in it, and I thought that sounds like a really cool movie. But I didn't watch any trailers. And my wife's watching trailers. She's like, "You got to watch this trailer. You got to watch it." I'm like, "No, I'm not watching trailers because." It seems to me, and maybe it's just me, but it seems to me that they give so much of the films away in the trailers anymore. It, I, I can't stand it. You, you sit on, this is Steve. Steve had a great job. Steve had a great career. But then Bob moved in with them, and then this guy went in, and then then it's this <laughs> roller coaster of Bob and Steve and Bob Steve, and then and then Steve comes into the picture, and then the wacky uncle, and then you know, and then at the end they show they show the whole stinking movie on these trailers, and it's like really, I, I just saw the entire film, I saw the entire film in two minutes. Why bother going to the theater now? I'd rather go having an interest in it by just maybe learning of it coming out and being surprised, actually, sitting down and watching the film and being surprised, and and I find them more enjoyable that way. And I'm really hoping this Breaking Bad movie um, can hold up. Uh, I love the series. I think this is going to be a great film to go see on the big screen, and uh, I'll let you guys know my thoughts if you're willing to listen. Um, Absolutely. Let's see what else has been going on. I've been playing some Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, took me a while to, get, to really get into that after playing grand theft auto 5 for such a long time it's hard to jump into a new genre of game it's very similar it's just like gta in 1895 i mean you're stealing horses and you're doing these you're you're you know you're, you're chasing these wrestlers instead of you know, your missions are, are this kind of similar but it's cool it's cool to go in, into a different environment and and have a different storyline somewhat. Um, it's exciting, and I like doing that. So I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I'm going to burn this caffeine off. Uh, I'm going to get ready to get on the freeway here anyway. And uh, head off home, and I'm going to uh, tune in and listen to you guys. Uh, I like the new, the show's coming out. On a continual basis of every Friday night, there's a recording and then there's a release of the, of the oh, actual man. podcast. Do you guys like podcast as a term? I know Leo Laporte calls them netcast because podcast <laughs> is too Apple-related. It, it refers to iPod and, 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 and podcasting. And, and So he goes with the netcast, which is platform Nick, you know you across any platform I mean it could be your Android it could be Windows PC man. what do you guys think about that huh? huh and another thing where's Rick hey guys it's Rick where's Rick from Australia R- remember those weird Rick background you'd hear the beeping from his uh, forklift going on and he'd be doing these these <laughs> cool uh, voicemails Rick where are you might where are you going let's get Rick back on come on Rick let's hear a voicemail from all Rick haven't heard from me in a while, man. Well, again, I'm probably a little bit too uh, caffeinated for the rest of this story, but uh, I'll back off now, and I'll be listening to you guys. You guys all take care, and be safe, will ya? And uh, like Shaggy and Scooby say, Hey, Scoob! Like, let's get out of here! Yeah, let's go! Yeah! Bye. <laughs>
2: You know what? Thank you, Carlos. Uh, it's funny you say that about Netcast because I remember uh, back when Leo Laporte did that, uh, way back, uh, somebody was suing all of the b- big podcasters saying, like, actually, you know, I patented the idea of podcasts, so you owe me this money. And Leo was like, you know what? We're a Netcast, we're not a podcast. And they changed the opening to uh, Netcast You Love from People You Trust. What's so funny that you sent this is I listen to one of Leo's produced shows, and it's called All About Android, where they talk about Android phones and Google and all that. And I noticed that they changed the intro lately, and it's this. Check this out. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is tweet. they've changed it back to podcast after years and they kind of did it just out of nowhere and i swear it's like right after i got your voicemail i noticed it how funny is that so i think podcast is the better term everyone knows what a podcast is now way back when in 2005 Not many people knew what it was. And over the years, you know, hey, I do a podcast. A what? Now people are like, oh, really? What's it called? And they they understand what a podcast is, which is really cool. Now, if I started saying I do a netcast, people go, what the hell? Like, nobody even knows what a netcast is. And I think by Leo silently changing it back to podcast is admitting defeat that netcast was a really dumb term, (laughs) you know? Another thing about Rick Lidster is there have been these horrible, horrible fires uh, decimating Australia. And I started thinking, you know, I know a person from Australia and his name is Rick Lidster. And I messaged him on Facebook. How are you doing? Are you doing okay?" And he said, I'm all good here. Not too close to anything crazy. Small fire in my town a month ago, but I didn't even see it. And only had a couple of hazy days, really. Luckily, so far, life continues as normal for me. So, thankfully, Rick is doing okay. Hopefully, his family's safe and friends. And uh, we just want the people of Australia to be okay. And, you know, you hear about the koala bears and all that. I'm hoping people, you know, find the right charity to donate to to help them out and that kind of thing. So... Carlos, thank you for sending that voicemail. I'm sorry I'm finally playing it so many months later. (laughs) Uh, I didn't mean for that to happen. It just kind of happened. And when you said you really love the show weekly and all that, you know, I'm just like, oh, I know people like the show. I know that people like the live show. I know people, I just want to try this new thing for a bit and see what you guys think hopefully that gets my creative juices flowing and maybe every once in a while i do a regular episode of etl or something but i gotta say i've gotten really tired of clickbait news stories and i do them as a gag as a joke on the show because they're so stupid but i've gotten where i don't even want to look at it like ugh, i want to say as far away from clickbait horseshit news stories as much as I can of. Look look who got cast in so-and-so and it's like I don't care. I've got another voicemail, this one from Ken Preventure. Ken, my partner in crime with the Ghostbusters Nim Movie Mini. I want to thank Ken for doing that show with me because I did have a great time recording that and talking to him and I had a great time working on it, and I want to do another show with him where we talk about another film, and I have something in mind, and I need to talk to Ken about that. But I have a voicemail that Ken sent me long ago, right after the Ghostbusters show came out, and uh, let's see what Ken has to say.
3: Well, hi there, Entertainment Landfill. This is Ken calling in, uh, calling in to wish a, a good podcast, and also to once again thank Jason for a terrific time talking about the immortal legendary ghostbusters 2 <laughs> for the recent mini that was uh, put out a couple of weeks ago and i know jason just put up some behind the scenes data about uh, how that particular mini was put together oh yeah and i could say uh, i put this on a, in a comment on the facebook page but also just to say uh, jason you are a wizard and what you did with our uh, conversation i mean I, I had a great time talking about the movie uh, and we and we did go deep into this movie probably deeper than any any than anyone has or any any two people <laughs> ever. in a conversation <laughs> have, have, have ever had uh but there's that and then but then there's what you did with with what we said and for me I I'm not a big fan of my own voice which I guess is not a, a good thing uh if you're going to do any kind of public speaking but anyway uh for me and it, particularly that day we talked, I was fighting a cold. And so I knew my voice was more nasal than usual. And then listening to the, to the mini afterwards, I could just hear those little, uh, those, those little t- ticks in my voice, like sounding like Joe Pesci from lethal weapon, just <laughs> going, you know, you know, you know, you know, you okay. know, those okay. little things that we do that we don't know what that we're doing until we hear them and we cringe. So, but here's the thing. After getting over just not liking my own voice and, uh, and the, you know, you know, and that kind of stuff that you really couldn't take out, I really got settled in and it was really what you did for that recording, uh, the way you edited it, the way you put in the clips and the music and all of that hard work and, uh, and, and and I and I really enjoyed listening to it as if I wasn't a part of it. If that makes any sense. That's and, I, and in fact, the, what I can really say about it, and and this struck me listening to it, is that uh, even though I was in it, uh, like halfway through, it really did sound like a classic mini. And by that I mean, it really did sound like uh, some people just having a great time talking about a movie they both knew very well, That's and saying about. Uh, anything and everything that could be said about it. And um, and I just felt halfway through that we were really, uh, they were really digging into something and just uh, immersing <laughs> ourselves into it. And and really, uh, and really, I think uh, Jason, you did a, a spectacular job at putting that whole thing together. And I'm really looking forward to listening it again when I can bear the sound of my own voice once more. Um, okay, well, I guess that's that's all I had to say uh, for now. And uh, just to say, I, I think I saw what I think is the best movie of the year so far. And that is the South Korean film, Parasite, uh, directed oh, nice. by Bong Joon-ho. And he also was the director of The Host and uh, Memories of Murder and the Netflix film, uh, Okja, about the girl yeah. and the uh, the big uh, the big beast that is um, that that, it, that she's trying to save the beast from the uh, from the trappers who want to take it and uh, and turn it into uh, ground meat ground beef. Uh, this movie Parasite is just amazing, and it's 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 funny, it's mean, it's 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 got family drama and and comedy and horror uh, and 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 suspense thriller all mixed up together. And it's so sharp and bright and clear and uh, that I just, it blew me away. So, as good as I thought uh, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was, I think Parasite is even better. Uh, but we'll see. All right. Uh, take care, folks. And I'll, I'll, I'll catch you later. Bye now.
2: All right. Thank you so much, Ken. I had a great time talking to you about Ghostbusters 2. And thank you so much for your kind words. No, but I've heard great things about Parasite. In fact, my mother-in-law saw Parasite. She was visiting her brother in California, and he wanted to see it. So she went to see it with him. She was like, it's very interesting. And uh, that's usually something good when she says something's interesting. So I've heard nothing but good things about it, and I would like to see it myself, hopefully soon. All right, Ken and Carlos. I got to play those voicemails, and I appreciate your voicemails. And also, guys, I encourage you to send me some voicemail. Record it on your phone, save it as an attachment, send it to podcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget you could go to our entertainment landfill fan club group on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash ET Landfill and join there and comment it'll be great well guys that was the first episode of the mulberry matinee i hope to be back very soon with another film or possibly a tv show to discuss with a friend and i hope you guys enjoy it so what are you guys waiting for reserve those seats and i'll see you at the theater
0: Thing. This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate Valley. For more criminally compelling shows, articles and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.